Okay, we're live. Hi, Camilla. Hi, Anna. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our friend, the computer. Happy end of the year. Yes, it's the end of the year. Um, oh my god! Which means that I'm gonna be editing tomorrow on the thirty first, which I think will be fine because there's nothing really to do uh, on the 31st. during the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. during during <laughs> the day. Um, so yeah, just feel sad about the year. No, do your like Instagram uh, roundup. You pick your 10, 10 best photos of the year to post on a carousel on your Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Do Spotify wrapped. <laughs> listen to some songs, um, the Beyonce <laughs> album, and just reminisce that it was a fabulous year. Um, so before we start, I'm so excited about this episode um, that you're gonna you're gonna tell us all about. But I, uh, yeah, I wanted to just talk really briefly about an event I went to and I did a little post to our Instagram, but um, I went to this like one day event that Rhizome put on at the new museum and it was uh, sort of centered around this um, like computer program, artistic project called Cyber Pow Wow. And it was so, it was so good. It was this, um, the whole event was really great. It was like a pop-up um exhibition and a panel discussion but cyber powwow was this um like chat interface exhibition platform and i thought that you would love that anna because you run a online exhibition platform um and like a virtual world called cyber powwow and it was started in 1997 in canada by the nation to nation collective which consisted of ryan rice eric robertson and skawanadi who was in person at the event and they described it as an aboriginally determined territory in cyberspace so it used this popular computer program called the palace did you ever use a palace no interface i think i i did um, it was this like multi-user graphical chat room. Um, there was a bunch of them and that's where the palace was where those, did you ever see those, um, I'm, a little, I'm slightly older than you, um, the dolls, like little avatars? No, not that either. Sorry. Oh, maybe I should do an episode on dolls. Th- they were these little avatars that were kind of like sort of, I guess like sexy, a bit like Bratz dolls. Um, and they had different fashions and you could like create, they were websites offshoots that you could like create your own. Um, but they were, they got really popular on palace, um, chat rooms, but, um, they had all sorts of different ones and I can't remember what I, when I used it, but they were sort of like club penguin, um, you know, like that style Habo hotel, like pre those ones. So it was a kind of a, a graphical, like a, graphic background mm-hmm. um, so like an image of something a room or whatever and then people that came in could like pop up on the screen as avatars as little images with their name and you could like chat and um yeah they, it was a program that was used for all sorts of things but cyber powwow used this mm-hmm. um, but they used it as this kind of like graphical chat room um but also to create a space for um like exhibitions so they would have these different rooms that you could enter um, by clicking a link. Yeah, um, I'm seeing a little window of uh, what the pa- the palace window would look like. And I'm seeing like little cartoon teepees in the background. And it says, um, click on a teepee to 
go to another room and see art. And then there's a person at the front that says, choose a cool avatar and make your own. And then, yeah, it's yeah. really cute. Mm-hmm. And then you could like talk with people within those spaces. Um, and they mostly presented works by Indigenous artists. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was great. I hadn't heard of it before. Rhizomes going through the process of restoring it. And um, some of it's available now, but they're doing a lot more. Uh, and I was able to play around with it on some of the old computers. They had a, in like the sky room or whatever it's called, they had a, uh, like the top floor of the new museum. They had a presentation with, with ephemera and then also some of the, some computers so you could access it. Um, and yeah. And Scarlinati is such a wonderful artist and it was really great to hear more about her work, but specifically she, she gave an artist talk. Um, how like later projects of hers could be seen as linking back to cyber powwow, um, including she created like a sort of next version of it within Second Life and um, sort of plays around with ideas of avatars and things as well. Yeah, and it was just really nice to hear about her sort of like this decades-long interest in digital decolonializing, creating spaces for like gatherings and community and even some questions around what it means and what it looks like to be Indigenous within digital space. Cool. Um, and, and just a continue, continuous investigation um, into this since the 90s, since the 80s even, I think she was doing stuff. Um, but, yeah, it was just yeah. really great. You should uh, – I'll put a link in the in the show notes so you can see you what see. they have online. But um, – the, and the pa- the whole panel is the panel discussions available now too. They record it, and I asked a question, so you might Ooh. hear my voice. <laughs> what question did you ask? What did I ask? I think I was asking about it's a uh, a restoration, but I guess I was wondering about they wanted it to be accessible, and because it it was such a um, interactive sort of community thing, I was kind of wondering when they're putting it online again, how they're viewing it. Like, is it just a is it like a an artifact you know from the past that now we can look at or are they hoping that it will continue and and continue growing um and mm, something that's like the question was the answer was more that it was yeah more just like an artifact that it wasn't something that they were really considering as um continually evolving um because obviously like i said the um the sort of ideas and things have evolved since then. So to go back to this now, um, it's really great to look back on it. But Yeah, and I think there's only so much you can do when you're trying to restore a website. Yeah. Like even though you're making it visible and you're making the interactions a little bit more accessible, there's still other technological limits that won't allow mm-hmm. people to kind of use it in the same way that... Yeah people would have engaged in the in the past and it sort of felt a little like wandering through a deserted gallery or something because there weren't like these this these digital spaces um in cyber powwow would have been um filled with people at the time chatting and 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 you know activity and talking and discussions within the artworks but when I entered it there wasn't anybody else in there so I just sort of clicked around and it was really great to see the artworks and experience what it felt like. It was on, it was also on like a, I think a XP, Windows XP 
Um, so it was very weird to bring back some old muscle memory of how to navigate um, uh, Windows XP because I had to open the, I was the first one to use it on the, on that computer. So I had to like open it. Um, but yeah, it, it sort of, um, it was a strange feeling. I, I am, I am, yeah, really glad that they're doing it and it was fascinating. You should watch the panel discussion, actually, and I think you would find it. I think I will, yeah, if I have time. Another question someone asked um, that was really interesting was about moderation because it's a chat room and, and firstly, was the chat room back then moderated and secondly, will it be moderated in the newer, like the accessible version now? Um, and the answer was I don't think they've decided what's going to happen with the current like iteration but um yeah in the past they're like we didn't know what moderation was that didn't exist that wasn't the thing if people came in and they were being like you know dickheads we'd just kick them out I guess like the people in there which it wasn't that big of an issue that they needed someone to actually make sort of like executive decisions yeah so there wasn't an executive there was the people on the chat that were the moderators themselves right I think so yeah I like that. Um, we all have a responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cute. I will give that a watch. Yeah, and I'm. I I feel like that links sort of slightly in with with the topic that we're doing today. Yeah, I was wondering about the name of this because of the episode of the episode. Yeah, because I wanted to call it Tamilnet, which is the main website that we'll be covering. But the thing is that we'll actually be covering quite a few different websites and we'll talk about the Tamil population in Sri Lanka and the history of it and the online presence that Tamil people have. But I kind of want to call it Tamilnet just because it sounds a little bit more like, you know, this is a space. Yeah, I think if that's sort of the main the main website that we're covering, we could call it that. Yeah, Okay, cool. Let's call it that. Yeah, it's a little bit more catchy. Yeah, let's call it Tamilnet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I guess this is like a disclosure that it's not just mm-hmm. about Tamilnet, um, but it's a, a big kind of amalgamation of, of websites and a whole network. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess before I give kind of a detailed account of Tamil Elan online, Um, I'll just give a brief description of the Tamil history in Sri Lanka. Um, The Tamil people are historically referred to as the small, like self-sufficient population in the north of the island of Ceylon slash Sri Lanka. Um, But Tamil people are largely scattered around this area and are basically a Dravidian ethno-linguistic group who trace their ancestry mainly to India's southern state of Tamil Nadu. And when Tamils from southern India were brought to Sri Lanka during Portuguese, Dutch and British colonial occupation, starting roughly in 1597 and lasted for 351 years, Um, the number of the Tamil residents uh, just boomed. And this influx initiated resentment among the Sinhalese because the colonial Brits were pretty much boosting the Tamil people as better workers and gave them a sort of superior status. Do you know why they they did that? I'm not sure. I think it could be a 
motivational tactic. Um, but I, I, I don't really know what the psychology was. It's, I mean, none of this like British colonialism ever really makes sense. Like all their logic is rooted in extreme racism. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The British then decided to create a single state of that area that they called Ceylon with the government located in Colombo which was a majority Sinhalese area and became the capital even after the island's independence from colonial rule in 1948. Um, This government wanted to rectify injustices that the British rule imposed and decided to kind of um, basically to segregate and disenfranchise most of the Tamil population who did not speak Sinhalese nor practice Buddhism. So they kind of considered to them to be this like reminder and symbol of colonial subjugation which prevailed for so long that it eventually instigated you know violence between Tamil guerrillas and Sinhalese government troops in I think it was 1983 um, and thousands of people were killed during this event. Um, Several ceasefires were called throughout the 80s but disagreements and violence continued. Uh, peace plans haven't been achieved, and the country still remains unified. Although the Tamils want to become an independent state called Elam, situated in the north. I was first drawn to this history by an exhibition at the ICA here in London by Christopher Calendron Thomas called Another World. It explores the visions of the Tamil Elam liberation movement as a prompt for alternative possible futures through the help of its virtual project. So what's what's the What's the virtual? What's the virtual project? So the virtual, pro- well, I guess we'll get into that eventually later. Okay, but essentially, um, the Tamil population managed to utilize cyberspace, mm. and they created loads of websites which um, tried to create a sort of but- narrative of recognition of Elam as a state. But this this exhibition is like a new a new project. Yeah. So okay. this exhibition is a new project, but it takes inspiration from Tamil Elam online. Mm-hmm. Cool. And he does a lot of work around this idea of like new Elam, which is like this cybernetic construction of a new type of citizenship. What what does that what's the new what's the new type of citizenship? Yeah. <laughs> So I guess that's the question. I guess a citizenship that isn't linked to borders, um, something that is a little bit more fluid, doesn't really have a mm. geopolitical linkage. But yeah, I guess... So like digital space, using digital right. space is like a way, yeah. Mm-hmm. And creating this new sort of form of nationalism or even just uh, exploring what nationalism really can yeah. mean. But yeah, so he does a lot of work around that and he's a he's quite an interesting artist but yeah so he's english and sri lankan and he even recites his tamil family's emigration journey in a talk at the 2017 verbier art summit 
And he says, um, this is a transcript, for three decades during the Sri Lankan civil war, the Tamil homeland of Elam was self-governed as an independent place led by a neo-Marxist revolution. It was supposed to be an autonomous nation based on equality for all, irrespective of class, gender, race, faith, or sexuality. But this idea was eventually crushed by an authoritarian president, so my family left that corrupt pretense of democracy to look for a better life in the West. And I have to emphasize that the war was a high-tech and high-velocity war with exceptionally you know, well-armed freedom fighters who managed to withstand government force for decades, even though this was a relatively small population in comparison to the country. Um, I also need to say that just for dis- disclosure, although my you know research on this does come out of like a, a very positive fascination with the liberation movement, I don't uh, condone violence in general. Even though I do believe you know violence is necessary when fighting for rights mm-hmm. in some cases, um, but the war, what has essentially become a civil war in Sri Lanka, was traumatizing and awful, and I don't know what life was like. For the people that lived through it, I can't speak for that. But, you know, people have died in the process, families, children, innocent people. Um, I do also think that the Western and Australian media that had their eyes on the conflict at the time were unfair to the to the Tamil Tigers, especially during a period when the topic of terrorism was so sensitive and kind of novel. But yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, obviously. And we'll not get into this right now, but I guess like you must have probably yeah. heard things growing up in Australia, right? About the Tamil Tigers. Well, I was just going to bring it up very briefly. Like I was very young um, when this was happening and, you know, I was, I was looking over your notes for, for this and, and it had been like a minute since I had heard the phrase yeah. Tamil Tiger and and when I was reading about it, like I was thinking over it again and I, uh, yeah, it was, I don't remember much of the actual um, discussion around it or even like seeing it on TV, but I did have this like vague sense that it was like a very dangerous thing. It was, uh, yeah, there's like some weird memory sense sort of vibe <laughs> that I have from my like very early childhood um and it's interesting to hear you say about like the Australian media because that must that's it you know I mean like my I don't really know how to explain it but I guess where Australia is so close to Sri Lanka as well that it's um I can see why we would be having more like media around it but yeah yeah a lot of the press um that covered the stories were Australian even if they worked for the BBC worldwide and it was broadcasted, you know, to Europe and America. But yeah, so a lot of the documentaries that I was researching that were produced were Australian. And I would say they were quite harsh towards the representation of the intention of yeah. what the Tigers were actually doing. But yeah, I mean, it was a also visually very shocking because like I said you know they were very well armed um women were most definitely amongst the front lines as complete equals in the fight 
and teenagers were sometimes a majority of the soldier population. And these fighters, which called the you know Tamil Tigers, used video footage and news outlets to create a propaganda very efficiently, even though Western media remained to be very anti-Elam and kind of dubbed them terrorists. Yeah, I'm just looking it up now, actually. I found an article in the Irish Times about Australia putting the Tamil Tigers on a terrorist list. And they stressed out the Tigers and they were disappointed and shocked by the West's accusation of terrorism, especially with the event of 9-11, like I mentioned, which happened around the same time that the guerrilla movement continued to be very active. Yeah. Um, But the desire for national sovereignty remained strong, remains strong, and is even echoed throughout the internet by its proliferation of the phrase Tamil Elam. Um, So land and self-governance has been refused to Tamils by Sri Lanka and international governing bodies such as the United Nations. And the Sri Lankan government has suspended the entire Tamil population's rights as citizens, which led a large number of Tamils to flee the island for political asylum. Wow. Yet the Tamil diaspora grew even more so internationally and together with their compatriots in Sri Lanka constitute the stateless nation of Tamil Elam. This is reflected in these scattered groups' presence online where virtual Tamil Elam commits itself to the establishment of an ethnically homogenous Tamil nation-state. And Sri Lankan Tamils in diaspora have been present online since the early internet days, posting on Usenet groups and launching websites in or even before 1996. What does does Elam mean? So Elam is the name of the northern part of Sri Lanka where they tried to constitute that as a state geographically, yeah. So it's interesting that that's like the phrase being used. I guess that goes back to that idea that you were saying earlier about the like new forms Mm -hmm. of citizenship but you know what does it mean to be from a specific very specific place but you're exploring that or or establishing that through this like digital space yeah because I think the desire for this citizenship is still kind of comes out for the right to inhabit a space even though you might not ever fully occupy it there's always this desire in the background or motivation in the background to have your own space and to have a home but yeah that can transcend and a space to to connect and collect together yeah if you're if you're so separated um just like one location to yeah to feel the mass of the of the group and i think also what christopher calendron thomas writes about a lot is Especially the phrase new Elam kind of refers to like this new world. So even though it might not be physical, it's kind of this creation of like a new sovereign nation. Mm. Um, And also like there's a little fun fact here. Okay. (laughs) So um, the ancient fairy tale place of Serendib, which appears in um, 1001 Nights, was also the old Arabic name for the island of Sri Lanka. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's like an ancient fairy tale place. And 
And yeah, and the English word for serendipity means a fortunate discovery, which was coined by Arthur Horace Walpole in 1754. So you can kind of see... Also a a wonderful rom-com with John Cusack. (laughs) Oh, what serendipity. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Great, I'll watch it. I really like it. One of my best friends, it's her like one of her favorite absolute favorite films oh, cute. Um, is it set in Sri Lanka it's set in New York <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's my fun fact of yeah the, of the show <laughs> so you can kind of see like the importance of the discovery of Sri Lanka in the colonial context just by the like etymology of the word serendipity yeah yeah and it used to be the name for Sri Lanka mm. um so basically, yeah, since the Sinhalese, you know, they kind of assert the insignificance of um, Tamil presence before colonial occupation, the Tamils really persist through online documentation that the island contained these like two coexisting kingdoms and that they have one of the earliest written alphabets. And um, they contain manifestos and lengthy attestations of their distinct traditions, heritage, and culture, along with proposing daily activities that help to kind of claim for for land and recognition. And many sites also include um, pastimes for families and kids and forums for discussion of the topics that could be of interest to Tamil Elam advocates or supporters. Wow. Um, And these opportunities to share news and participation architectures of the site allow visitors to believe in this communal decision-making and nation-building process. So yeah, basically like virtual Tamil Elam really like perpetuates this insignificance and passion for diasporic citizenship in a way. So it's it's kind of like preserving and archiving what once was sort of the physical reality or the kind of like physical culture um, but creating this like living online version that continues to grow and change plus envisioning possible futures from mm-hmm. that that's amazing exactly yeah and this is all reflected in the project's use of the website where they also use the inherent conditions of the internet's medium you know the the network information communication and global interconnection to kind of build this idea of a new world wow so so wait when was this when was this started basically since the dot-com boom so kind of just like early noughties anywhere between 2000 and like one to 2006 i i would think because tamil elam was banned in 2005 then towards the end but there's a study that came out in 2004 called Cyber Cafes in Sri Lanka, Tamil Virtual Communities, that um, researches the city of Walawata in Colombo and focused on the emergence of basically just like an unprecedented number of cyber cafes and net two phones. And yeah, so basically just correlates with the boom of cyber cafes yeah and the internet and phones that enabled internet surfing basically it correlates to that and also to how active the tamil tigers were as well mm. 
because some of the websites would also document what what was happening on the ground. But this isn't all like this isn't all Tamil Tiger stuff, right? It's like Tamil, no, um, culture, yeah. and and things. And then some of the sites were more explicitly about kind of the the fighting, the freedom fighting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so the main sites are Tamilnet, uh, Tamilnet.com, which I can't reach, um, ElamWeb, ElamWeb.com, which the domain name now seems to be up for sale, so that looks to be down, and Elankai Tamil, Elam Sangam, um, which is Sangam.org, which still is up and running. So, yeah, a lot of the website analysis I got is from um, spatial conceptions of URLs, the Tamil Elam networks on the World Wide Web. That's a great name. <laughs> Spatial conceptions of URLs. Yeah, it's written by Juliana Enteen for the New Media and Society Journal for Northwestern University in 2006. Um, and yeah, I basically just got a lot of this um, information from her because um, I do not have access to most of the websites, unfortunately. But yeah, like I said earlier, they tend to mostly just chart out the kind of pre-colonial period where Tamils and Sinhalese peacefully coexisted on the island and sometimes even demonstrating what society would have been without colonial domination at all. Um, sometimes a site will also argue that their online presence is a legitimacy in and of itself for the kind of recognition of both their ancient past and right for autonomy. And they declare that the virtual, not just the geopolitical occupation, is just as important for the independence project. So they kind of envision like a solid network that facilitates a constant and engaging dispersal or exchange of information. Mm. And I just want to look at the domain name at one of the most popular sites, Tamilnet, to kind of explore the motives of the Elam project. So um, first of all, it uses Tamil, which points to the South Asian ethnic group specifically. But most Tamils actually reside in India, where they are not that concerned with the independent struggle in Sri Lanka. And then it uses the word net, suggesting the electronic electronic network and then .com which explicitly it isn't using a domain name extension that associates itself with a geographical location um, because you know LK would be the internet uh, country code domain for Sri Lanka. I wonder if that's also got something to do with like the timing of it that it was so early on mm. um, in like internet time right. that that maybe the .com might have been the only option at the time because I feel like the country codes came a bit later. Yeah, that's true. And that is actually interesting in and of itself. I feel like with this to sort of think about if if that if that was the case, I haven't done my research, but the fact that they're entering and choosing to establish themselves within this virtual digital space um, that – at the time perhaps really didn't have connections to specific locations or, or um, there was nothing to denote a different country. Um, and then I wonder how that would 
that feeling shifted just generally even um, when different country codes started to come in. Yeah, that's true. I guess there's like the point of view from the marketing side where it's like you want to use a country code just to stand out somehow or if it's relevant in some way. But yeah, I it, you're right. It was definitely like an early time for the internet and um, they used, you could tell how like the use of the domain names and the use of the websites themselves were still kind of being explored. Like even though they used news media mostly for the websites to kind of keep things relevant and up to date, the sites also hosted various kind of like fun techie features like online stores and games and desktop backgrounds that people can download for free. I have a few things to say, but I feel like I don't know what to say first. Yeah, I was going to say that I miss those downloads. I miss, I've started maybe like I've been making some for my art practice because they're just so fun, Um, like computer backgrounds and things that you could download from websites. That was often like a free thing. Um, And then I was going to say something else. What was it? Oh, also, I guess just like the, the use of, you were talking about the participation architecture of websites and that that is like so it's a way to be interactive and engaged with a website before that interactivity was really like an established concept on websites that ability to kind of download something you got from a website and then use it in your either your digital world or even or your physical world um depending on what the download is is like a fun concept yeah yeah I wonder why we've like moved away from from that I think people just don't want clutter as well yeah but also I think that that's you know we talked uh last episode the episode before about I don't know I think we might have cut it out did we cut it out about, oh yeah I think we, we cut it out around about ringtones <laughs> and um phones used to feel really customizable and um Mm -hmm. because they were all there were lots of different types of phones and people were really into those like downloadable ringtones that you'd like purchase or like little things you could check like I don't know I feel like and we were saying I think that it was coming back but I do think that the sort of early uh internet early phone life was kind of a customizable vibe and that people enjoyed um, downloading things to change stuff up. And, you know, you download little icon packs to change the the folder icons on your desktop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. Yeah, there's so many little tricks like that that early websites really love to play with. Like, it's even just the idea of posting um, news, like general news and current affairs to websites is quite interesting as well because... So the sites kind of insist visitors to come back by luring them in with, you know, obviously like the the, the relevant news, up-to-date news articles, but also like with these consumer tactics. And some of the desktop background designs have wave, waves on them, which is quite interesting because apparently waves represent resistance committed by the Tamil Tigers, as well as like an aesthetic reference to the former island of Ceylon. Yeah. Um, and most of the sites are written in English, but they encourage learning the Tamil language and how to write Tamil script on a computer and on the internet. Wow. Wait, so it was sort of like, it was for the Tamil diaspora to have like a a place to collect and to 
to feel connected, but it was also to kind of teach other people about their culture and to, well, yeah. Yeah, anyone that was interested, literally anyone, yeah. Um, And the representation of maps is interesting too. For example, the homepage of elam.com showed a map at the top of the main page, which was like a heart-shaped island with a dark pink field symbolizing the nation. And Antin writes that the outline suggests a version of Tamil Elam removed from the physicality of its location, a common form of representation that Tamils abroad deploy. And to be honest, even when you just Google image search Tamil map, the map of um, Tamil Nadu comes up, which is just the alleged origin, you know, of Tamil people, as I mentioned in the beginning. So that Mm. represents just a fraction of the population, let alone completely ignores um, Sri Lankan Tamils and Elam. So are there any sites that like specifically address like the diaspora or sections of the diaspora, like Tamils that live in like specific other countries, or is it all kind of a a group, group sort of together under the one? Yeah, so the Alankai Tamil Elam Sangam, which is also known as the Association of Tamils of Elam and Sri Lanka in the US, defines citizenship by identification rather than placement. Placement like location? Yeah. Okay even though they are aware of their U.S. borders. Hmm. Um, So the website makes a clear kind of standpoint that Tamil expatriates who reside in liberal democracies are, and I quote, the only um, voice through which the voiceless Tamils can speak. And the Elam web website header states, our people, our strength, and shows images of demonstrations in Europe like France, Germany, Norway, Switzerland, and the United Kingdom and North America as well. Um, And this kind of like, you know, it it portrays the limitations of location by depicting the nation as like a a network and that it's the participants that form Elam Webb. So the the Christopher Calendrum Thomas show that was at ICA, that work, is it, so we've been talking about the like the original websites and community that sort of came up in the 2000s or 90s, 2000s. Um, but his work in that show, that's like, a, is it um, using that as an archive to create new work or it like responds to it? How, how are they linked and what's he trying to do? It just responds to it. But he he's making like a virtual project yeah. as well. Okay. But I think he's also invested in like this idea of kind of subverting rentier and subscription models to create like housing. He, oh. I think he wanted to make at one point this this housing for people where you're just paying for a subscription and then it gives you like a house and you might move and you might exchange it with other people, but he kind of believes in the fact that after a long period of time, the subscription service will be able to pay itself off, and then people will eventually have, like, free housing. So he's kind of, like, interested in these techie, new, rentier things that can liberate us and actually execute quite leftist um, desires. Oh, interesting, yeah. So, yeah, he... 
also underpins the kind of construction of identity through the idea of exit or expats in the speech uh, mentioned earlier. And he says, the economist Albert Hirschman makes the argument that the possibility of exit gives power to the exercising of democratic voice. And his biggest example of this is actually that of America. Yeah. And in April 2005, the editor of Tamil Net, Dharmalingam Sivaram, was abducted and killed by a known gunman. What? Um, according to the BBC News Sinhala, his body was found near the parliament inside the high <gasps> security zone. The police is yet to find the assassin. This followed Tamil Net to be blocked by all major internet service providers in Sri Lanka on the orders of the government. Wow. Tamilnet was... That's suspicious. Yeah, I mean, it was instrumental in the self-determination of Elam, and the government obviously saw its power and wanted to shut it down once and for all. So even though Tamilnet wasn't the one that was specifically looking at, like, fighting or anything like that, it was more just a, a I guess, establishment or a demonstration of, of culture... Um, that was that was enough that it was dangerous to them, to the government. Well, they were also posting what was happening uh, on the on the front lines. Yeah, so they were covering a lot of the footage. They had a lot of video footage of that too. So, but yeah, I mean, these were just updates of what was actually happening. Mm-hmm. Again, not really sure who killed him. Basically, a former member of um, the People's Liberation Organization of Tamil Elam, um, which is a former Tamil militant group that had become a pro-government military group and political party, has been accused of the murder. But the Tigers accused the government and Colonel Karuna Aman, more specifically a politician who's also a, like a former militant who was basically fighting the tigers for 20 years. Um, they, they, yeah, yeah. They, they essentially blamed him. Wow. But, you know, the result of Tamil Elam Online is still a global network which amalgamates its international links to create a type of sovereignty through the virtual, even though they never really occupy an entire space. Um, Eaton also writes that this type of national participation and information dispersal for recognition of a kind of autonomous population are reminiscent of the efforts of uh, Paluans, uh, the Basques, and and Black nationalists making connections to Africa. Um, She also states that with this example, we can kind of begin to rethink like the concepts or kind of conditions of possibility for nation state or national membership also if there's just kind of to like conclude i guess there's this quote by bruno litter which goes um the network practice is more supple than the notion of system Mm -hmm. more historical than the notion of structure more empirical than the notion of complexity the idea of network is the Ariadne's thread of these interwoven stories. So here again, I guess we can see how like the online network provides us with really a more accurate expression and building of national identity. Um, And virtual Tamil Elam also provides the internet with a better definition of itself too, because it kind of goes against this like 
Cartesian idea of cyberspace, which is known as this other space, you know, this other world that is mutually exclusive to the physical. Um, And since the word diaspora is frequently referred to as an imagined community, it kind of really goes to show that the online and offline work in tandem because of this idea of the network, really. So yeah, that's the story of Tamil Elam online. Um, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And we are coming close to an hour. So yeah, thank you so much for listening and asking all the right questions, <laughs> as always. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even I don't know. You know, I'm just like my brain is all yeah. cyber power. So it's um, it, it there was something with cyber power as well that I didn't mention before, but that they would have um, it was like a gathering online where people could enter this space and see the show but then there was also they had physical gatherings they called them gatherings the physical um yeah like events and and things that they didn't really see as being different the virtual or the the digital versus the the physical reality and um it yeah it's really interesting concept to think about particularly in like early internet days we talk, we talk so much about like, what is it? Wh- how have we negotiated and renegotiated the relationship between computers and humans and the role that computers play in our lives that are so f- our lives are so physical, but so much is now um, played out in the digital world. And yeah, it's really interesting to like, look back, particularly at this, the, the, the Tamil, Tamil net to think about like, what that meant in the early 2000s and how that continues today. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of examples that like these that really show that the internet is inherently connected to land. Yeah. And it's connected to our idea of place and home and idea of like nationalism, citizenship and the rights of land and how we occupy it and the spaces that you occupy. It all works on the internet as well and just the idea of like colonialism online and and the concept of decolonialization Mm, online and in in that panel discussion it came up about um the vocabulary of particularly early internet computer programs and this idea of i guess colonialism but it's uh they were referencing um browsers Mm -hmm. like explorer navigator yeah yeah yeah. um and even referencing you know uh i think it's like apache like early mac um programs and things that that this naming um really references a colonial mindset or this like the explorer going into this new to this new land and and within that sort of fraught unexplored like that those topics not being really looked at critically in the early days like why are they just picking these these names how does how do different cultural cultural groups or indigenous groups um exist within those spaces in a way that is yeah connected with with the physical land and these yeah i don't know it's uh no but that's interesting where in the beginning, they tried to show the internet as this like wild west that should be occupied and explored and conquered. Yeah. But it really goes hand in hand with the idea of cyberspace and this other world that needs to be surfed, that needs to be navigated, explored, scrolled through all these 
very physical metaphors are suddenly put onto this thing that they think is like an abstract alien space, but in reality is basically yeah. just, and just like to, a tool. It, uh, yeah, and it's this thing of like, okay, yeah, reusing the same language yeah. um, and then taking language from Indigenous groups right. because for some, for those, those names, well, it's like, yeah, those names have in this like Western mindset of that era yeah. have some weird, like denote some other thing. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yeah, we'll just use it. Those things are things that we should be critically analyzing. Um, anyway, it's just that, yeah, it's just weird that this whole like language or like set of expectations around like new spaces um, got all mixed up. And then maybe we haven't been, I mean, obviously people are, but as a, a you know, overall haven't been kind of looking at it enough and, and thinking about, oh, maybe we set this whole thing up not with the best, uh, yeah, language or words or, or, or thinking around what is digital space. Yeah. It's interesting. Anyway, well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you also. We'll be, we'll be back in a month. Yeah. And I hope you all have a lovely New Year's. Yeah. Oh, my God. Happy New Year, everyone. I guess this Happy is. Happy New Year. This will be coming out in the New Year, but shortly after. So, yeah, hopefully everyone's having a good start. And we'll see you in the next one. See you soon. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye.